Transmitting high atop of Florida's peninsula at 108 feet, this is Alpha Mike, and you are listening to episode 204. Today's title, Outlaw MC, part of our Wise Guys series, we continue to tell you about bad guys. How do you get in contact with us? Well, it's easy, RaiderCop.com and RaiderCopNation.com. One, you can hear all our episodes from 1 to 204, and the other one is our official website. Also, connect with us on social network, everything but Twitter. Don't waste your time looking for us there. You won't find us under Raider Cop, Raider Cop Podcast, or Raider Cop Nation. Our current status in the U.S. Well, our president is stumbling and falling all over the place. We are somewhat of a laughing stock as the Chinese point their dirty little finger in our face and we say sorry. And not to mention that Uncle Joe has disappointed me as I saw all those kids in those little cages and garbage bags covering themselves look so similar to the Obama era when they dealt with children and immigration. Our borders are overrun, my friends, and it's a sign of the times. Our guns under siege, and it's only the beginning of being part of the Bolshevik states of woke. Why are we covering the outlaws in the Wise Guy series? Well, we're taking a little break from the mafia or Costa Nostra. And we're focusing in on what the government calls the big four. We call them the big five because we've added one. Waiting for the government to finally catch up. Needless to say, they call them one percenters, troublemakers, criminals. But the question that we always pose on every one of our series dealing with bikers is, are the groups or the MC themselves a criminal organization or are they criminals in the organization? It's a difficult call. Might sound like it's easy, but it's really not. So we got a lot of ground to cover. Let me give you a couple of the highlights what we're going to look at when we explore the Outlaw Motorcycle Group. They were founded inside a bar. They are part of what the government calls the Big Four. Of course, we've named it the Big Five. They've been around for 86 years. A a support club of theirs is called the Black Pistons. And they have have auxiliary clubs. You know, like cops have auxiliary officers where they got auxiliary clubs. And one of them is called the Dirty White Boys. They are the 
the movie The Wild One inspired their patch. 1963, they officially became a 1% club. 1965, they created the American Outlaw Association so they could counter the American Motorcycle Association. One of their mottos, God forgives, outlaws don't. Very, very joyful people with that model. 1,700 members, 176 chapters, chapters, and they are international. They often say one of their unofficial models, snitches are a dying breed. And we will bring all that to the table today on Outlaw MC episode 204. Now, something that's not a dying breed is the Word of God, and we're going to transmit that, which is alive and well, right now. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4.4. And always you can listen to the Words like this on RaiderCopNation.com. There's a little section there that says AWOL Monday. Just click it and you can hear the word of God 30 minutes or less for your spiritual journey. What are we going into today? We are headed towards the 1% Club mentality, the 1% Club nation the 1% Club attitude. Known in criminal organization circles as bikers, they have their own rules. Their rules, of course, are all very similar in 1% society. All clubs have the same. So we're not going to bore you with those. We've gone through those before in other series. But today we are going to discuss the Outlaw MCs on episode 204. Before we get to that, we know that there are some issues with bikers in that the government has just cheesy indictments. Things that just don't make sense. Now, you might not understand what I'm talking about, but basically the government has messed up a lot of cases or have been extremely foolish when it when they have dealt with 1% clubs. I mean, incidents from, and I'll give you an example of one, another biker group similar to the Outlaws, they had a firebombing of one of their clubhouses in California. They traced some of the elements or the evidence of that bombing. They hired a retired FBI agent, and it came back to the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms in another state. I believe it was Indiana. Don't quote me on the state. But In other words, it was the government themselves that 
had something to do with their bombing. So there's no doubt that the government has gone out of their way to get them. And they have stretched the truth quite often. Some, of course, have gone to prison and gone to jail because they were caught red-handed. So the question that we always have on this podcast, are all members of these groups, today we're talking about the outlaws, so I pose the question, is every member of the outlaw an outlaw, a criminal, or are there criminals in the outlaws? And that is a very important question. It was one that the government failed to prove in 1979 in the RICO case against the Hells Angels. They, first case they ever did a RICO case, and they blundered. While the Hells Angels attorneys said, oh, well, hold on, let's stop right there. We are a group, we are called Hells Angels, we have patches, and we ride and we live the 1% life. But not everybody in the club is a criminal. The jury said, you're absolutely right. And the government failed, failed to present that. Today, they're still stumbling and stabbering and slipping on themselves, trying to prove that everyone, beyond a reasonable doubt, I just told you there's 1,700 members, beyond a reasonable doubt, all 1,700 are criminals. So that's the question being posed. So it's time to get the circus ready. We're going to take the journey into Outlaws MC episode 204. Episode 204, Outlaws MC. We'll start off our outline, which is quite long and sufficient. They start off as the American Outlaw Association, AOC, and is which is the Outlaw MC. They incorporated in McCook, Illinois, in 1935. That was a long time ago, 86 years to be exact. They become a 1% club officially in 1963. Their establishment came out of a bar called Matilda at Route 66 in McCook, Illinois. And that was just southwest of the city of Chicago. The Wild Ones with Marlon Brando, the actor, inspired them to their logo. It was very similar to the ones in The Wild One. And that movie had a lot to do with a lot of these, I don't want to say the big four, but a lot of these MC 1% clubs, the old timers, that that was an influential movie at the time. Similar to La Costa Nostra and the Mafia, 
dealing with the Godfather movies. The 1% MC Outlaws is what they're branded. One of their international presidents is famed with pushing them to a different level, a higher level than they were at. His name, Harold Joseph Taco, that's the nickname, Bowman. They called him Taco because he said he looked like a Mexican, the way his mustache looked. And, um, but he wasn't, because their bylaws say that you have to be a white male in order to be an outlaw. But nevertheless, that was his nickname, and he becomes their international president in 1984. One of the highlights of his national international presidency is in 1993 on New Year's Eve, he gives a speech to the outlaw nation. Several clubs, several chapters are present where he proclaims that the outlaws will become bigger than what they are, international, take turf and territory, including going up against the Hell's Angels. Now, some of the things that they deal in, or they've been accused to deal in, or their members have been arrested for, have been dealing in drugs, guns, prostitution, uh, stealing motorcycles, chopping them up as well. Their traditional is their turf. All these 1% clubs have to have some type of turf, right? You have to somewhere plant your flag. And as we said that the outlaws started 1935, 1963, which is about 58 years, they become a 1% club. The 1% started really forming in the 50s and into the 60s. They are thrown into there, and it's about turf. They are proclaiming their area as being the Midwest. And shortly after, the rival group, the Hells Angels, there would be problems with the outlaws. So what is the 1% lifestyle? We've covered it again. We'll go real quickly. You become a hangaround early on. They get to know you. You get to know them. It's not the Boy Scouts kids. You become a probate, probationary. It could take whatever length of time. And you're at the uh, bank and call of the club and the members. You're voted in unanimously as a member. And you go to things called church, which is meetings. You pay dues. You protect the turf that the club has. And you have some types of racket to keep you gainfully employed. Some of them might have businesses. Some of them have legitimate jobs. Some of them, as we said, are criminals, but everybody has to pay dues. Sometimes dues could be $20, $25 a week, but multiply that by $1,700, and there's some money coming in. Those are legitimately 
that would be legitimate money coming in based on their bylaws as a motorcycle club. But the government says they also raise a whole lot of money illegally. But the question that we've always asked here, we continue to ask, because the government has baffled people's legal minds in not being able to answer the question, are all members of the outlaws criminals or are there criminals in the outlaws? The outlaws will have their turf as we said, as the Midwest, while their rivals now, the Hells Angels, are primarily in the West Coast and Northeast Coast. This would trigger a war. There's a lot of stories of how the war started. People say that uh, Taco ordered the war in 93 against the Hells Angels. I remember reading once out of uh, some book. I can't remember who wrote it. Forgive me for that. But the story was that Sandy Alexander, president of the New York City Hells Angels, had a former girlfriend or something that uh, took off with the outlaws or something similar to that. And as a result, that was part of the war. Look, the bottom line is we'll never know what the war is. But all these 1% clubs all have one common trait, one modus operandi. Turf, defend the turf, and defend whatever business they're in. That is their protocol. Daytona, Florida, becomes their landmark. 1991, Taco Bowman orders that it's a mandatory run for the outlaw bikers. In other words, everybody that's a biker in the U.S. has to attend Daytona once a year. They just had it uh, last week, I believe it was. I believe it lasts three weeks. And, uh, you know, as usual, there's a couple of arrests here and there, but nothing, nothing really major. So how did the outlaws really form what well, we discussed it it was inside a bar it was in Illinois just south of Chicago and then they started branching out remember we discussed turf without turf you know, there's no place to plant your flag that's not much of a, a group with Taco Bowman he was really from the area of Detroit and when he was a club member there and, I believe, president of that club, of, of that chapter, the Outlaws, he got into a little spat with the neighborhood Colstra Nostra in Detroit. And it dealt something with uh, number rackets or something like that, that the Outlaws were either moving in on or, or ripping off. But nevertheless, uh, it became a hot zone not only against the mafia or Costa Nostra against the one percenters, the outlaws, but also the attention of law enforcement. Taco packed up his bags and headed towards Florida. He, Florida had already been an established chapter 
under a guy by the name of Big Jim Nolan. He actually came down to Florida, planted the first outlaw flag in the 60s, and Bowman now, as he comes in into the picture and he becomes the international president, then they are extending and expanding their turf and they will do it by force. Taco, as we said, pisses off the Costa Mafia in Detroit. Now, we really don't know too much of the outcome there, but 1% clubs have had relations with the Costa Nostra. Pagans have been known to have ties to the Philadelphia mob and also to several New York City mob families as well. And, of course, uh, the Hells Angels have been also known to have ties with the Genovese family. Now, whatever their ties are, of course, that would be criminal enterprise. But the question still arises, are these individuals that have the ties with Costa Nostra? Now, the mafia has not done a good job in defending themselves in RICO cases. Even though they're a secret society, nobody should know that you're a member. Here, one percenters wear jackets, colors, that identify themselves as being a member of this specific club that may be under investigation by law enforcement. But the government has failed to prove that everyone in the club in this club specifically would be 1,700 members worldwide, 176 chapters. That every one of those individuals are criminals. It's a criminal enterprise. Because if you fail to prove that in the RICO case, how can you say that the club is the element of the crime or the purpose or the reason for the crime? Another thing that the government has tried to do with the Hells Angels failed miserably recently against the Mongols, failed miserably as well, is taking their cuts, their jackets, their colors, their logos, their copyrighted logos as on, on top of that. And the government always tells the court system that the reason they're taking this is because they're a criminal enterprise, but again, falls short of identifying it as a criminal enterprise. So I'm going to take your jacket and I'm going to kind of prove that everybody in the group is a criminal. This is the equivalent of taking Johnny and his little league baseball team. Johnny breaks a window throws the ball through an old lady's window, cracks the cops come. Everybody on the team is guilty, even though Johnny's the one that threw it. And we're not only going to punish everybody on the team, we're going to take their uniforms. Can't wear those uniforms anymore because they represent the crime of breaking the old lady's windows with the baseball. So that's how the government has proceeded. Very sloppy cases. If you look at cases or RICO cases against Costa Nostra, very well put together. They've got 
uh, confidential informants. They have uh, momentous uh, uh, amount, a monumental amount of, uh, of FBI agents working the case, evidence, tapes, pictures, you name it. But when you look at some of these 1% things, uh, clubs, their investigation is very sloppy. Some are confidential informants that got busted on another crime and all of a sudden they got information to tell. Now that brings me to a story sometime in the 90s, I believe it was. Could have been the early 2000s. I was in law enforcement in South Florida in the area of Miami. And I won't mention the agency, but there was a guy sitting in uh, for processing. He had gotten arrested. And as he's looking around, he doesn't look too good. He's looking left, right, up, down, sideways. And he doesn't like the element that he is looking at. He's a white guy. And uh, he calls me over and he says, officer, can I speak to you? I say, yeah, what, what do you got? What do you want to talk about? And he tells me, I'm a member of the Outlaw Motorcycle Club. And he showed me a tattoo on his arm or something. And he told me, I want to cooperate fully. I go, all right, well, we'll make the appropriate phone call. We did the appropriate paperwork, phone calls. He was gone. He ended up in in a secluded uh, uh, confinement as he took out his guitar and started singing. I don't know what his charges were. I couldn't even tell you. I had nothing to do with him. I, he asked me. He just so happened to ask me. And uh, we, we put him in touch with the right people. But nevertheless, he looked scared. And... Uh, Whatever it was, he knew he wasn't going to uh, survive 20, 30, or 40 years of that nonsense. And he made his decision right there in uh, processing. So, we will continue to move on. The issue with the outlaws, once tacos down in Florida... He wants to rule Florida. Now, one of the big things with the 1% clubs is the states or the turfs that they dominate, the 1%, the big four, which is really five. And the government calls the big four Hells Angels, Outlaws, Banditos, and Pagans. We've added the Mongols to it. Why are the Mongols onto it? Well, the Mongols have expanded from West Coast to East Coast. The Mongols have... Uh, formed alliances with the outlaws and the pagans. The Mongols are rivals and at a current war with the Hells Angels. And the Mongols now have turned into an international club. So I put you in the Big Five Club. While the government will sit on their thumbs and try to figure out, should we increase the number or decrease it? We'll just go ahead and go to five. The government will still call them four until one day some U.S. prosecutor would say, you know, I think, can we, let's, can, let's use five. And then they'll go ahead and use the five. Because the, the evidence speaks for itself. Now, when the outlaws get to Florida, there is a group called the Warlocks there in, in Florida, and they're 
supporting the bottom rocker that says Florida Outlaws come into town. They remember they've been in town since the sixties and everything's been pretty cool. You're over there, we're over here, everybody loves each other, and all of a sudden Taco comes up and says, uh, and they don't wear Florida, we wear Florida. So the turf issue is a big one. It represents power in the 1% mindset. Any other club that wears that patch becomes a enemy of one of those big clubs. They can't, they have to be the dominant club. Now the Outlaws have been known to be very dominant, just patching over other clubs. Patching over them basically means we might befriend a club, you bring them into the fold, and you give them an ultimatum. You're going to patch over and become outlaws, or we're just going to beat the hell out of you. So a lot of times, next thing you know, they're wearing outlaw colors, and everything's forgiven. Everybody's one big happy family. So the outlaws are notorious for that. In between the outlaws and the Hells Angels, the Hells Angels are more sophisticated, but the outlaws probably a lot more violent. They live more the 1% life. They're a lot more uh, scrubbier, we'll say. Down in South Florida, uh, back in the 70s, I believe they were in Miami area, somewhere in the Miami area, and they moved up to Fort Lauderdale. And uh, mostly because they shied away from big cities. And being in areas where you were like in the suburbs or you were in your own little world, it was a lot better for them uh, than being in the big cities. Early on, maybe in the 50s and 60s, they would have their clubhouses in big cities. You had New York City Hells Angels, and they were down in uh, 3rd Avenue in Manhattan, they recently sold a building, and now they're up on the they're up in the Bronx, and you got the Oakland Hell's Angels and, and so forth. So I'm just giving an example how these clubs were formed back in the 50s, 60s, and they're in big cities. But now the move is be a you know out of the limelight. Get out of get out of the limelight. So the Outlaws went up to Fort Lauderdale area and they would uh, become uh, the pets of the Broward County Sheriff's Office which would raid them almost on a continuous basis and uh, a lot of that was the heat that Taco Bowman brought on the club they proceeded to blow up the Warlocks clubhouse in 1994 just completely blew it up uh, to shreds and um, making their point that they were going to be the dominant club in Florida. Today, the Warlocks continue to be their enemy, but the dominant, the dominance of the Outlaws in pure numbers is so large, uh, it would be very difficult for a smaller club to actually beat them. So 
they exist through fear, uh, putting the fear in other clubs. So who are the enemies of the outlaws? Well, of course, you got the hell's angels, the hell lovers, the heathens, the highwaymen, which are based out in Detroit, the Iron Order, the Reganites, and the Warlocks in Florida. Who are their allies? The Black Pistons, the Grim Reapers, the Iron Coffins, and of course the Mongols MC. So they have friendly clubs and they have adversaries. But you have to ask yourself why. Well, it's kind of difficult to answer that because they're supposed to be a secret society. We're not supposed to know what they're really into. But it must be something. So let's take a look at some of the highlights of the outlaws in their crime headlines during the years. 1980, Sons of Sam member Stephen Cresson kills the Outlaws MC National Vice President in Indianapolis using an AK-47. 1989, shots are fired in a fight between the Iron Horseman MC, Outlaw MC, and, uh, and it's a, they mentioned some other clubs. We're not going to, there's a whole roll of people here all of a sudden. In uh, Carmel, Ohio, two people were killed for seriously injured in the shooting. 1991, February, they, uh, the Warlocks MC in uh, Florida, the President Raymond Beers Chapton is shot four times in the neck head area while in his home garage working on his Harley Davidson motorcycle. He was found by his daughter, Wendy, when she returned home from school. The murder is later connected to the Outlaw MC, planned by Outlaw MC members. Harry Taco Bowman and Wayne Hicks. 1995, uh, 3rd of March, Hells Angel member Jack Johns Castle is shot while sitting in his Lincoln uh, vehicle on West George Street in Chicago Northwest. Jack Castle uh, had previously been a member of the West Chicago chapter of Hell's henchmen until they were patched over by the angels in December 1994. He is shot with a 30 caliber rifle slug and dies from the injuries in October 2000. The Outlaws MC Southside Chicago chapter president Carl J. Warnicke is convicted of the murder. 1997 January Outlaw MC president Holmes and an outlaw member uh, from France are shot and wounded by members of the Untouchables MC, an ally of the Hells Angels during a great Nordic bike war. 1999, November, uh, Operation Iron Horse, four-year states and federal investigation of motorcycle clubs in the Midwest. Four members of the outlaw MCs are distributing over 2, uh, 200, sorry, 200 pounds of cocaine 
with the street value of $3 million to members of the Grim Reapers MC, 1998-1998. 18 Grim Reaper members, including the national president, are also charged in the investigation. 2007, 24 of June, outlaw member, club member Frank Rigo Vital was shot and killed in a parking lot of the Crazy Horse Saloon in Forest Park, Georgia by two Renegades Motorcycle Club members who had reportedly acted in self-defense after they had followed the members of the Outlaw MC. The two Renegades members had been shot multiple times but survived. 2008, June, a motorcycle swap meet named Iron Horse Roundup held at the Lake County Fairgrounds in Grace Lake was canceled due to concerns about rivalry between the Hell Lovers and the Outlaw MCs. Law enforcement officials were concerned that if the event proceeded, it may have been a staging ground for violence because the clubs, the clubs had to settle scores. They noticed that the show's cancellation came very late as hundreds, if not thousands, of bikers had already made the trip and only found out about the cancellation after they arrived. 2014, 1st of February, there's a fight between members of the Ethan's Motorcycle Club and the Outlaws at the Easy Rider Bike Show in Nashville, Tennessee, reportedly rounds Around 15 members of the Outlaws joined the brawl against the two heathen members who were believed to have their families at the show with them. The old ladies of one of the heathens was also involved in the fight, believed to have been body slammed. An outlaw member had part of his ear bitten off in the scuffle. Fight started over members of the heathens were wearing their shirts supporting a jailed brother who was an ex-outlaw MC member. The outlaws took offense at the shirt and were requesting they be removed. 2014, 25th of July, a fight breaks out in Hopplebee's in Athens, Tennessee between members of the heathens MC and the window makers MC just before midnight. Shortly after, there is a related shooting in Kangaroo Convenience Store in Decor Pike, where the heathens are believed to have fired shots from a Chevy Tahoe at members of the Outlaw MCs. Outlaw Motorcycle Club members Stephen Kirkland and David Petty are injured. And 2017, 29 April, there's a confrontation between members of the Kingsman MC and the Outlaw MC at a Circle K gas station in Leesburg, Orlando, area of Florida. Two men, David Donovan, believed to be a Kingsman MC, and Mark Knotts, believed to be an Outlaw MC, are shot multiple times each. The club were believed to be in the area attending a Leesburg Bike Fest. 
On 17 November 2017, Outlaw members Mark Edward Nared Knotts and Jesus Alberto Moreno are arrested and charged with murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and kidnapping. 27 June 2017, Outlaw members Miguel Angel Torres III turns himself into police and is charged with murder, conspiracy to commit murder, kidnapping, aggravated assault, and deadly weapon. On 9 September 2017, Outlaw member uh, Gregory Allen Erpus is charged with conspiracy to commit murder and kidnapping. And finally, 2017, on the 25th of August, Outlaws in St. Petersburg, Florida Clubhouse is torched. There is uh, more incidents that have occurred. I know uh, by the area I live in, Tampa Bay region, not too long ago, the president of, uh, I believe it was the Outlaws, I'm going to do a quick check to make sure, they shot him in 5 p.m. traffic jam killed him he was in a pickup truck and the guys drive, drove away on their motorcycles the gentlemen that were arrested were from the 69ers club that had just they formed in Florida originally from New York City and our allies of the Hells Angels we could be here all day reading these things and as you can see they're prone to violence as you can see they are bitter rivalries about what shirt you wear when you wear it what you did where you're at and what patch do you have underneath your jacket all these things can trigger a shooting a war and multiple murders as well so where do we go from here with the with the outlaws the outlaws uh recently in Florida have taken more of a lower profile. During the Taco Bowman era, which he's passed away, but when he was around and before he got convicted and all that, his rule stood that they were going to conquer Florida, that they were going to dominate specific turfs, and that they would become a thorn in the Hells Angels' side. Since his passing, the efforts are probably still there, but not as noticeable as they once were. Today, Florida has other MC clubs, groups, gangs, whatever you want to call them, that were never so prevalent in Florida, such as the pagans and the Mongols. So all this attention of these one percenters coming down to Florida is most doubtedly because there's fighting for the state, which is pretty much an open territory. So the efforts of the outlaws doing Taco Bellman's era of claiming Florida really had not has not worked. So they have an influence that they do. But when you start seeing other 
big four, big five members coming down to Florida, that's a clear indication that there's something else going on. If you look at the United States Department of Justice, they've got a bunch of articles, and we'll link some down on the show notes. Outlaw Motorcycle Club region president arrested on firearms charges. Kind of baloney. They make a big thing out of it. You know, with a disclaimer, the Department of Justice and all this other stuff. This is back on October 31st, 2019. And they go on to the president of the Outlaws, I believe in Boston, East Bridgewater. And uh, he was uh, found with uh, an AR-15, something similar to that. Anyway, so it's a big deal. So anybody else would have got found with it, and it's not such a big deal. But they're known felons. They're not allowed to have those things. Yeah, 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 we know. So uh, another headliner from the Justice Department, and again, this will be linked on our show notes. 27 members of the American Outlaw Association, better known as the Outlaw MCs, motorcycle gang uh, indicted. National president and other leaders and members charged with racketeering, attempted murder, and other violent crimes. So the outlaws are always somehow involved in violent crimes, much more so than probably the Hells Angels, which are a little bit more sophisticated on how they operate. But never, nevertheless, they are extremely uh, dangerous all of these groups. And, you know, this is not about riding a motorcycle and wearing a jacket. We're beyond that now. And anybody with a little bit of sense can figure this out, that there's much more here than meets the eye. But the preponderance of evidence has to be present that everybody in the group, and in this group, they are represented as 1,700 members, 176 chapters. The question that lies before the government in any RICO case is every member a criminal, making this a criminal organization, or are there criminals in the organization? They haven't been able to prove this since 1979, and the government... They're making arrests, they're doing their thing, but a lot of these cases all turn into individual charges and these guys go away for 20, 30 years. But they haven't gotten any group yet. They came close with the Mongols and uh, they're, they're going around. Now it seems that our next club that we're gonna be talking about, the Pagans, are on the target hairs of the government and they're recently arrested their national president and they're kind of closing in on the pagans now and we'll talk about them as we talk to how violent the outlaws are the pagans are probably one of the most if not the most violent of the one percent Lancaster, New York, four dead. Two of them were Hells Angels. Two of them were outlaws. And that became a big push 
for the United States government to go after the outlaws again, as well as the Hells Angels. Taco Bowman sees an article in a newspaper where he sees a member of the Fifth Charter and he's hugging a Hells Angel. He'll have none of that. He dispatches outlaws to go teach the Fifth Charter members a lesson. They invite some of their club members to what they believe is going to be a party. They rough them up, break their legs, and they sent the message. The Fifth Charter is not a 1% club. They're a motorcycle club, but they're not known as a 1% club. But Taco wanted to send a message, and the message is no hugging of Hells Angels in newspapers. This is what you get. Today, they're probably a smarter organization running under the radar, not on top of the radar. Florida's hot right now with a lot of these MC clubs down here. And I'm sure that they are on the radar of local law enforcement and the Florida Department of Law Enforcement as well, ATF and FBI. So, trade quietly, especially in Florida, because there's a whole lot of people running down to Florida. They're trying to run away from communism. So, if you get in their way, they'll end up arresting you because Florida's one of the last havens in America. Oh, I'm sorry. Bolshevik states of woke. What do we got up next? Well, we we started to change a little bit of uh, what we're broadcasting uh, twice a week. I just, I just went ahead and started doing it already because, let me tell you, there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of research involved. And, uh, you know, it, it becomes overwhelming after a time. I, I explained that in the last series. I'm not going to repeat it. But uh, up next on March 28th, Don't Mess With Texas. And this show is going to be uh, specifically about some gun laws that the governor of Texas wants to invoke because he knows that the lunatics up in Washington want to take people's guns. So they have, in Texas, uh, started to become a sovereign gun, gun state. What does that mean? Well, we don't really recognize the position of the federal government. We ha- you can have guns in Texas. And a lot of other states are going to follow. So we'll discuss that on March 28th with uh, Kilo Sierra. We got coming up March 28th, gun show, March 31st, gun show, March 4th. I mean, March 4th, listen to me. April 4th, gun show with Kilo again. And, uh... And then we have another gun show coming down. That's it. We're going to have to get Kilo back up here. But we got a lot of gun shows coming up. So uh, don't mess with Texas. Uh, Reciprocity. That's coming up in 206, uh, March 31st. Perception. 
is important. That is April 4th. You know, you live in a state where you can have concealed carry and blah, 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 but some little town in, in the state that you live in say, ah, 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 you can't have that in our little town. That crap. So we'll have a, uh, we're having an a episode on that as well. And there's a bunch of shows that we got lined up with Kilo. And uh, in May, we got a couple of uh, the, the Firearms Owners Protection Act of 1986. We're going to talk about that. The Peaceable Journey Lore, that's what it's called. And uh, Kilo, come on. We're going to talk about the Gun Owners of America and uh, why the Glock 45 and not the caliber, the model. And that's coming up in in May with with Kilo as well. So we got a lot of gun-gun shows, a lot of gun shows coming up. So we encourage you to listen. As well as a Wise Guy series will continue with uh, the 1% outlaws, motorcycle groups, whatever you want to call them, and we'll continue talking about them. In April, we've got uh, the Pagans coming up. And in May, we will have... Oh, the Banditos. They, they got shuffled in there. The Banditos in May and June, we will discuss... I believe it's going to be... We already did the Hells Angels and the Mongols, but I believe is we're going to do a regroup of Mongols and Hells Angels and round out the 1% clubs. We're going to have more shows on 1%. Doesn't end here. We will continue to talk about outlaws, Mongols, pagans, Hells Angels, and so forth. But we'll make it a little bit more personal on individuals and stuff like that. We already know the lifestyle, the 1%, what they're into, what they're accused of being into. So we're not going to beat a dead horse. We're going to start doing like our Wise Guys series with Costa Nostra, talking about individuals. After we've briefed our audience on who these groups are, that will wind uh, round, will be rounded up by June of 2021. That's what we got, folks. It has been my honor and pleasure to be your host on Radio Cop Podcast. Continue to pray for yourself because without you in the game, we have nothing. Continue to pray for your family, your community, the law enforcement agencies that serve you. And most important, continue to pray for the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike, and I'm out.